how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're vital. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Fisher Stevens grew up with an acting class in his living room, literally. The teacher invited him to attend, so by age 15, he was already auditioning and working in the business. These days, as an actor, he's known for movies like Short Circuit, the show's Lost, Damages, Hell Caesar, The Night Of, Secession, and Blacklist. But the actor is also making a name for himself behind the camera, winning an Oscar for the documentary The Cove and directing Stand-Up Guide, and now Apple's Palmer. In Palmer, Justin Timberlake plays an ex-convict who strikes up an unlikely friendship with a boy from a troubled home. You can listen to my interview with the screenwriter of Palmer, Cheryl Guerrero, in episode 246 of the podcast. In this episode, Fisher talks about forming discipline from rejection, how Matthew Broderick helped advance his acting career, how to self-start a documentary, why he's attracted to second chance movies, what he learned from Gary Marshall, and how creatives can strike to create social change. If it's your first time listening, make sure you hit that subscribe button and look for more content from me at writerfieldnotes.com. When I was 13, uh, we lived in the meatpacking district in New York City, and my mother was a struggling painter, and we lived in a loft. And her boyfriend at the time was an actor slash maitre d' at a restaurant and studying acting. And his acting teacher lost the lease of his school and ended up uh, helping my mother pay rent by teaching acting class in my uh, loft in the meatpacking district that I live. And then they built uh, things. The school was good and things were going well. And they built a stage in our living room and started teaching class in my living room. So I was kind of indoctrinated in the weird, unconventional way that I came home from school on Mondays because on Mondays they taught class and there were people in my living room taking acting class and there were a few night classes. And so I thought this looks cool. And the teacher invited me to join the classes since I was there. And that was it. I was hooked. Uh, I loved reading plays. I started doing scene work and uh, yeah. And then I, so I, I started trying to make it as an actor at like, I would say really starting at 
14, 15 years old auditioning. And then at 16, I started working a little and, and, uh, and I was pretty much full-time actor until I was in my twenties. And I started a theater company where I got into kind of producing, writing and directing plays. And that kind of just spiraled into moving into the films from directing, producing plays into films. Short answer. <laughs> was there less hesitation because you were so young? Like, did you have any, did you have some fears as you went on stage and some of those things? Uh, I was pretty bold, I would say, in terms of uh, my fear, but I was always, yeah. I mean, look, one thing that is really people don't talk about as an actor, we don't talk about much is rejection, right? So when you're a 15 year old kid and you're constantly rejected, it's not the easiest thing, even, you know, even when you're older, that's something that never changes. So I would say in that sense, that was a tough part, uh, but it made you work harder. It made you strive for more to try to, you know, get a role or, in, you know, and, and so much of it is out of your hands. You don't look the right for the part, you know, they want someone with brown hair or someone, you know, different than you. But I, uh, I think because I started so young and, um, I was around adults so much as a young person that I, it, it gave me a certain confidence and a certain understanding that really helped me uh, in, my, uh, in my career and in my life. Was there a certain role or turning point when you knew it was going to be like a full-time or a full career? Or was there any moments where you thought about maybe quitting early on? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I was really lucky at, uh, I mean, I, I say from, I got my first real paid job at 16 and then I couldn't get arrested literally till I was 18. And I had a friend that I had met, um, through auditioning and through the New York city, uh, kind of private school circuit, so to speak, I named Matthew Broderick and Matthew, uh, was, uh, you know, doing much better than I was. And, but because he was in a play and he told me he was leaving the play to go on to a bigger play. And he said, you should audition. And he got me an audition for this play called Torch Song Trilogy, which was off Broadway at the time. And there was talk of this play moving to Broadway and having another life. And Matthew really, I, I didn't even have an agent at the time. He really helped me. He got me the audition and he, basically said, Hey man, this play is going to go places. And, and once I got that play and it, it did sure enough go to Broadway. Um, from that point on, uh, that was when I thought, okay, I'm going to, this is, this is definitely going to work out for me in some way. Um, now that's not to say it was a smooth ride all the way through. I mean, there were moments in my twenties and in my thirties where I was like, Oh my God, I, I just, I, this is so hard or, I, I, I didn't always love what I had to do, you know, uh, but, but I'd say I've made a living, uh, in this business pretty much consistently since I was 18 years old. And, um, that's, that's going on, uh, almost 40 years. So. Do you see a distinction between some of your directing work and your acting work? Like you said, you've been, you seem to be busy. You've done almost a hundred films as an actor and TV shows. It seems like those are like you're, you're getting plenty of opportunities to work, especially as you've gotten older, but the director roles are maybe more like passion projects, especially some of your documentaries. 
do you see a distinction between your acting and your directing in that way? Yeah, I would say I could be more choosy as an actor. Well, no, that's not true. In, in, in documentary, the reason I love documentaries was you could kind of self-start them. And, uh, you know, you find some subject you want to do and you start making it um, a little bit, you know, and then I had real luck with kind of being able to raise money in that, in that field, in documentary fields, maybe because I got successful pretty quickly in doc. Um, and also because they take a long time, but they, they don't, they're much lower budget than a feature film. And I really fell in love with the form of documentary filmmaking with feature films. It's a, a, they're more expensive. B you, you, you know, that's very much consistent contingent on who you cast um they're much more difficult to get going for me um so uh i found and i i have to say that directing documentaries really did shape the way i direct features there's no question about it um the way i make movies now uh the way i made palmer is very different than the way i made stand-up guys um, which is very different from the first film I did, Just a Kiss, which was like under a million dollars. But um, acting for me was, I loved acting, but I always knew that I didn't just want to act. Because maybe partially because I started so young. Um, I, I do at this moment have the opportunity to act when I want to act. Um, I'm, I'm not, that's not the, uh, let me rephrase that. I don't have to take every acting job that comes my way. Um, I get to do things that, you know, I want to do. Um, there's a lot of acting jobs I want to do that I don't get, that they don't offer me, but I don't have to take everything that, you know, necessarily comes my way. And, and also, sadly, I've had to turn down some acting jobs I really wanted to do, but I wasn't available to do because I was directing a documentary or directing a feature. Um, but I will say that the balance of doing all of these things, um, I am feeling really blessed that I get to kind of bop from one to the other. And it keeps me very fresh, keeps me on my toes. Um, and I, I, I'm constantly in a state of, of learning as well as doing, you know, um, I, I always feel like I'm still learning. Uh, when I'm behind that camera and even when I'm in front of the camera to tell you the truth um, every day, you know, even acting last week, I'm, you know, I, I still like I'm watching people I work with my peers and learning from them. So without maybe giving too much away, can you give some more details about how documentary style uh, directing, like even some specifics kind of shaped the, your style for Palmer? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think when I read the script, one of the attractions uh, beside the great writing and the characters was that I felt like this is a film I can make for a budget and take what I learned from documentaries and put it into this particular film because it's set in a small town in rural America. Um, it's very manageable. There's no like green screen. Everything is real. Um, and I spent a lot of time prep preparing for that film to make it like you're just being dropped into real life. You're just coming right into this real world that exists with Palmer and Sam and Vivian. And I also wanted to capture 
the or tell this story in a way that is similar to the, the way I shoot docs, which is a lot of handheld camera work, a lot of uh, wide angle lenses, very very close to the to the actors, um, where you feel like you're living and breathing with them the same way that I would probably or that I do shoot my documentaries, or at least before COVID, when you could get really close to people, which now obviously you can't. But um, in that sense, I also really wanted the sets and the and the, the look uh, to, to have a reality to them. So we based everything on real houses, you know, the hairstyles of of where we were shooting from, you know, down to the hairstyle, to the shirts, to the, to the dialogue, everything. We just really tried to make this thing like you're, you're, you're living in, in this town in Louisiana with these real people. And that was kind of Justin Timberlake and my mantra is to keep it authentic, keep it authentic, keep it authentic. So um, I think having the documentary background really helped me do that. Do you think this film, I mean, Obviously, there are some points where it's a bit of a reflection of the time. Do you think this film could have been made before, or is it more universal to just themes of sexuality and these type of things happening today? Well, it's interesting you say that because I I read this script um, uh, right after uh, Trump was elected president, and there was something about not me personally not having the uh, smart enough and the awareness that, you know, Trump would be elected because I, I never thought he would be. And I realized I live in a bubble and I need to get out there in the country. And this script came by and it was like, oh my God, I want to, I want to like, I want to go shoot a movie in the South. I want to go, I want to get away from my bubble and see what the world, you know, the country is going through and what the country is like. And this is the perfect movie to do that, to unify, because you have these two unlikely people coming together to form a family, you know, and I, I think it, it is the right time for the movie. And I, I, my, my nephew, Max at seven was Sam. He played with dolls. He, um, all his friends were girls. He liked to dress up in dresses and his parents really supported him and, and allowed him to be who he is. And he's a beautiful kid now he's about to go to college. And, you know, I, I think that, that, uh, the characters like Sam and my nephew need to be represented in movies. And yeah, this, this is the time. I mean, Cheryl wrote this script in 2007 and couldn't get it made for years or just put it away. And it, it really was about the timing. And, you know, so we, we set this movie and, you know, it was originally written for Alabama. We shot it, but we shot it in rural Louisiana. And, you know, it, it really was a beautiful experience. And, and, you know, even though, I didn't necessarily agree with uh, all the people in the, in the places we shot about politics and they didn't agree with me. We really ended up uh, coming together and having this beautiful friendship in, in support of making this film. And uh, it was a great experience. And I do think you're right. The timing was right. And it's funny because even before Biden's inauguration yesterday, my my pitch on this movie had always been unity. It's about unity. It's about, you know, the most unlikely uh, people coming together to form a family. And and I think the timing is, is really right for this movie. I'm actually speaking with um, Cheryl, the screenwriter, next week. Are there any questions that come to mind you'd like for me to ask her 
or uh, things that came up in your conversations? Well, you know, you could ask her about the difficulty of getting a movie made and, and how long it took her to get this thing going. Um, because I know it had been sitting around and, uh, and, and I, I think Cheryl, uh, is a great talent and I'm hoping that, well, she's been getting a lot of work, which is great since, since the, we made this film, but, uh, she's, she's definitely an under, uh, appreciated talent and hopefully seem to be appreciated. But, um, yeah, you should talk the, the struggle of getting a movie made is pretty clear in, in this one. And it starts with her cause she wrote it. And, and also how she came up with these characters is quite interesting. The other, the other element of the script that I liked in speaking about timing and importance is that it's a movie about a guy trying to get a second chance. You know, um, so many people come out of incarceration and are just dismissed and, you know, basically have a real trouble, have real trouble reintegrating into society. And Justin and I both were fascinated by that journey that someone takes. Um, and, even though he's he's done his time, you know he's and he, he still comes back to his town, and everybody's looking at him and judging him in a certain way. And I think uh, it's really important that we give people second chances and uh, try not to prejudge. And everybody has bumps in their lives, and I think it's important to let people uh, try to rehabilitate. And one thing I loved about this movie, it is a movie about redemption, and it is a movie about about. Uh, you know, you root, you really want Justin's character Palmer and to get it together. And uh, I love those kind of films. You've had, so I've talked to a few actor directors and there's kind of an added benefit of being on set and, and seeing how other directors work. Have you learned any uh, stories or things like that that come to mind from maybe working with someone like, um, you know, the Coen brothers or some of these great directors over time? Oh my God. I've learned so much. Um, you know, I, I, I learned a lot also. Um, well, I think it was on, um, I, I can't remember if it was on, well, first of all, my first real movie role uh, where I had a big role was Flamingo Kid with Gary Marshall. And I, one thing he did that I, I copied, you know, it's funny, you take things with you over the years. He made a playlist of songs on a cassette because back then it was cassette. Uh, of all the songs in 1963 that were hit um, for Flamingo Kid, which which took place in 63. It was 20 years later, 1983, when we made it. And um, and then we went into a, uh, a, a conference room and there was these tape, there was these tape marks on the floor and these, you know, just kind of desks. And we rehearsed scenes uh, that were supposed to be, you know, on, you know, obviously we couldn't shoot on the set. I mean, not rehearse on set, but we would rehearse scenes and tape these tapes rooms. And I just found that so interesting. And then I, I read Sidney Lamette's book on directing and, and, and uh, got to work with Al Pacino and get to know him. And, you know, Sidney Lamette would always do the same thing. Um, Sidney Lamette would rehearse a lot more than Gary Marshall did, but, uh, so I, I basically learned a lot about rehearsals, about, about, uh, I sent everybody playlists who are in Palmer this time, you know, you just make an Apple playlist and, you know, you download it and send it much easier than making cassettes. Um, uh, but little things like that. And then I, uh, just because of my background as an actor, I, I went and took 
every every single um, every single actor, no matter what role they played, whether it was a two line role or Justin, and we did we did bios biographies of each character and who they were and where they're past, what what you know what they want, and I said like this is my idea, but you can go your own way, and then I just we just had these dialogues and then I, I, I give some of them even an assignment. I said, if you want, you know, you should just write a bio of who you were playing. And I just found that so, so interesting. And then everybody came in so excited to come to work. And, you know, we, 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 one other thing I learned just from being an actor and, and working so much is just like to try to create a family and try to make it like an ensemble. And I really feel like everybody on this movie were, were like an ensemble. We were like this little family working together and uh yeah and i think we all had a great experience and just uh, it's just such a bummer we can't be together for a premiere but we're gonna do it virtually next uh, on sunday night so i know you've done some so yeah. a, lot of, a lot of work with leonardo dicaprio and, and your efforts together about the environment and those type of issues when you find something important like that that means a lot to you do you have any advice for people that have a cause and how they can kind of stick with it and just kind of create a, a set of diligence for their life to, to kind of devote themselves to those things that matter so much. Well, yeah, I think that's a great question. And I, I think it's important um, to do, you know, not everything you do, but like uh, I, I try to find work and art that can have social change Um and because of what I do for a living, being a filmmaker and an actor, I try to find projects, not all of them, by the way, but that, that, that can support uh, some kind of thing I believe in, whether it's environmentalism or whether it's uh, just anti-bullying or whatever it is. So if you can incorporate into your work some kind of issues that you believe in that's kind of a great thing to do if you don't but you still believe in things and want to you know uh if you're an artist you, you know i i'm all for like painting or finding creative ways to express yourself whether it's an environmental cause or whether it's making a short film um i i got very upset when um just for an example that when trump was uh, first elected he put a uh, a, a lobbyist in place to be the head of the environmental protection agency. And, and not, it, it was a guy who was trying to kill the environmental regulations. And I got very upset. So I, uh, I just, with a friend, we just made a short film about this guy, Scott Pruitt and how he shouldn't, he was unqualified. And, you know, we tried to make it entertaining. I, I have some cool friends. So I like called them to write music and we made this little film about Scott Pruitt. And, um, we were right. He was uh, fired for corruption, but, uh, but I, I, I just had to do it. I didn't get paid. It, you know, it cost me a little time and money, but I, it was such a good feeling because I believed that we had to get rid of him out of the EPA and I got to make a little creative movie. You know, I got Edward Norton to voice it and, you know, people will pitch in if you're doing something that uh, your other people believe in, you know, um, that's just a little example, but, I think it's uh, I I hope you know one of the reasons we did the cove was not only to bring light to the cove but we wanted a lot of other people to make movies and and films about animal cruelty and uh I think the cove really helped get people inspired to make other films about that kind of subject so 
whatever people do, I, yeah, I think that would be great. You just have to work. It's hard work, but it's also really satisfying if you're doing something you believe in. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at writerfieldnotes.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.